Are you ready for something more, better, or different? Have you been looking for more success in your life? Here is your opportunity. Dr. Young's show, Transformation for Success, will help you discover a future for change with possibility thinking, new vision, and creative solutions to impact a more fulfilling lifestyle. Dr. Barbara is an accomplished leader and change guru who is passionate about helping others to gain the triumphs and successes that lie ahead. She brings you up close and personal with interviews from successful experts, corporate leaders, sports figures, entertainment personalities, coaches, thought leaders, and authors who dared to dream, take risks, and gain success. Now, here is your host, Dr. Barbara Young. Welcome. It's Transformational Tuesday. This is your host, Dr. Barbara Young, and I want to give a big shout out to all of my international, national, and local listeners, and thank you for tuning in every week to the Transformation for Success show. We have an amazing show for you today. You'll hear from my guest, Dr. David Gruder, 12-year, I mean, he's a 12-award-winning integrated psychologist, human potential strategist, and tactician who equips leaders and influencers how to become super change catalysts who facilitate what he calls self-sovereignty that serves us all plus governance that serves self-sovereignty. He has authored, co-authored, and been featured in 24 books. Dr. David will share some of his transformational turning points that led him to dedicate the final chapter of his career in equipping leaders and influencers in inner, outer, and spiritual skills to succeed at self-sovereignty. He's also going to share from his perspective how leaders and influencers can do their part in helping to repair and elevate the world. Today is November 3rd, the day before the November 4th election, so do go. Cast your vote and share your voice because this is your time to shine. It matters. So share with a friend or colleagues to listen today or to download this show later. We're broadcasting live, and you can listen to Transformation for Success on the Empowerment Business and Influences channels. We're also syndicated on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Heart, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. And you can now access the show on your smart home devices. How great is that? Now, let me welcome my guest today, Dr. David Gruder. Hello, Dr. David. How are you today? Well, I am happy today. Thank you, Dr. Barbara, and it's a pleasure to be with you. Well, it's absolutely a joy and thrill to have you on the show. I was so excited when I first met you and heard you speak. I said, I've got to have you on the show. Wow, we have so much to talk about today. So, I have to tell 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 me where you want to begin because your background is so interesting that I said, oh my God, I have to pick and choose. One of the, the, the questions I had is that when you were, were six or seven, I'll start there, your family received this UNICEF New Year's card containing, containing a message that penetrated deep into the core of your being. I want to know, what was that message? And what did it lead to when you were six or seven? Oh, my. Well, that's a great place to start. So the message on the card was the greater peace, 
will only come after the smaller peace we make with each other. And for reasons that are still amazing and mysterious to me, even at this point in my life at 66 years old, as we record this, I uh, it, it went straight to the core of my being. That message went into the marrow of my bones. I instantly resonated with it and embraced it as something that was going to be really influential for me throughout my life. And how I recognized and knew that at six or seven is really quite amazing and magical to me. That is amazing to me and magical too at six or seven. Oh, wow. Well, there was a destiny for you. And we also know that there were things that happened to you earlier. But with this message, could you repeat it again? The greater peace will, will only come will only after, come the, after we make the after greater the peace. smaller peace we make okay. with each other. That is, oh my goodness, that resonates even today. That resonates mm-hmm. even today. And so when you at six or seven got that message, what did it lead to? What did it lead you? Did it lead you to at seven to recognize there was something greater ahead of you? Yes, it did. And it instantly reframed my my relationship with being part of humanity. Uh, mm-hmm. From that day forward, there, there were two flags that were in my bedroom. One was the United States flag, because I'm a U.S. citizen. The other was the United Nations flag. Now, I, you know, think back to 1960, uh, roughly, which is when this all first occurred for me. I, at six or seven years old, I didn't know anything about the politics of the United Nations. All I knew (laughs) was that the United Nations flag represented for me that I was first and foremost a citizen of the planet, and then inside of that, a citizen of the United States. Isn't that something? I mean, this is incredible. Well, you've had an incredible life. Also, uh, something happened when you were 15. Your parents, and this is interesting, of course, this is back during the 60s, sent you to Woodstock, and you were only 15. Why did they do that, and did you have a transformational experience there? Oh, well, it's a great story, and yes, I did. Uh, the, the reason they did that was really out of naivete. Uh, I was very involved in performing growing up, music and drama, and my parents were kind enough to somehow rustle up enough money in the summertime to keep me involved with my pursuits when school was out, and so they would send me off to a uh, a camp for the performing arts in the Berkshires, Massachusetts. So the spring of 1969, the camp director sends this note home to all of the parents saying for the first time in the camp's history, we're going to have an optional field trip to a music and arts fair in upstate New York. Do you want to send your kid? So my parents naively look at me and say, well, what do you think? (laughs) (laughs) And, (laughs) And I know. And of course, Nobody knew what the 1969 Woodstock Music and Arts Festival was going to be before 1969. Up until that point in time, it was a a little humble arts festival outside of the town of Woodstock, New York. But 1969 was the immortal 
Woodstock. So the camp yes. rents a charter long distance bus uh, with a you know reclining reclining seats and a bathroom in the back of it, and we all drive uh, in the bus to Woodstock. We uh, to the festival. We arrive a day early. So the bus gets to park at the top of the hill that the festival was occurring on, which mean uh, which resulted in first of all uh, our uh, our bus Peter Pan wow. bus line, which was the name of the bus line, uh, is in the Woodstock documentary, and we had marvelous uh, seating on the hill because we arrived early, and we probably had the only working bathroom <laughs> in Woodstock by the end of the first day. Um, but it, it was really an eye-opening experience, and I thought that I had gone there for the music. And, of course, the music was over the moon. But what I couldn't have known that I had gone there for was to have my worldview completely transformed in three days. Wow. What happened? Can you share briefly? I mean, that you had a transformational experience there. Now, you know, this is sort of a follow-up to the UNICEF New Year's Eve card. So now, yes, wow, yes. Well, you see, what happened was that the the festival organizers were very worried that they could have rioting on their hands because a half a million people showed up for an event that was designed for about sixty thousand. And oh my goodness, yes. Mm-hmm. And and so uh, what they did was that when one band was breaking down and the next band was setting up, they would come out on stage, one of them, and would tell us what the latest news was about the coverage that Woodstock was getting. And, you know, there were news helicopters circling overhead and sending feeds to the networks. And what they did was that they rallied us. They, they said, look, we have an opportunity to prove to the world that even if only for three days, a city of a half a million people could have each other's backs, not commit crimes, not harm mm-hmm, each other, mm-hmm. not do violence. And I experienced as a 15-year-old what it was like to be in a sea of a half a million people in a very chaotic situation mm-hmm. where we joined together to show the world that we could have positive impact, even with our large numbers. And that was hugely impactful that, for me as that, a 15-year-old. That, that's very profound. That would be profound even today, if that were to happen. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and, and, and you were only 15. Yes, oh, and I arrived man. at Woodstock a drug-free virgin, and I left Woodstock a drug-free virgin. Oh, my God! <laughs> I was a late bloomer. <laughs> I, you, you must have been. You must have been, because you're probably one of the few that left there uh, intact. Let's put it that way. <laughs> now, when, yeah. <laughs> When you were 16, I was fascinated because you discovered you were transpartisan. Now, you've got to explain that. Um, a transpartisan, what does it mean? And what experienced, experience that you had that awakened that awareness to you? And then was there something that happened as a result of that? Oh, yeah. Transpartisan. Transpartisan. <laughs> well, you know, it's kind of like postpartisan, <clears throat> except... <laughs> For me, it's transcending partisanism. And what happened was I was in high school. I was 16 years old. And at that time, the war in Vietnam was raging. And Mm -hmm. my high school, like so many other places in society at that time, was polarized. And there were these two groups 
And one group was called the hippies in my high school. And the other group in my high school was called the greasers. And the hippies were wearing black armbands to protest the war in Vietnam. So the greasers started wearing white armbands to protest the protesters. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting in the middle of that saying to myself, this is really wrong. Both sides have something important to say. And neither side sees the whole picture, but they're really adamant about the side of the picture that they see, and they're behaving as though their side of the picture is the whole picture. So I thought to myself, what can I do to make a statement, and more importantly, to try to get them to talk to each other? And so I came up with what I thought was a brilliant idea, which was (laughs) (laughs) to... I can see where you're going. Which was to create an armband that had two strips to it. It had a black strip and a white strip, and across both strips was written the the word anti-polarization. I couldn't sew, so I recruited my mom to sew this armband. She gets it completed, and so this first day that I have the armband completed, I proudly wear it to school in uh, with the intention of getting these two groups to be on the same page to start talking to each other rather than hollering at each other. And very shortly after I arrived at my high school, a group of hippies and a group of greasers circled around me because they saw my armband and they all started hollering at me at the same time with the exact same message. They, their message was, you're a coward, you're refusing to take a stand. And I realized in that moment that not only did they not recognize the stand that I was taking, but that I had actually achieved my wish and my wish had been flawed. I wanted them to get on the same page, but I didn't realize that I was going to do that in a way (laughs) that was going to make me the the (laughs) crucifixion land. (laughs) And so on that day, I vowed, that I was going to figure out, I had no idea how I was going to do this at 16, but I was going to somehow discover how to get diverse groups of people to be able to collaborate with each other rather than go at each other with war or try to coerce each other or try to even compromise, which is such an inferior problem-solving strategy. I wanted a third alternative to coercion and compromise. Well, what an experience and one that you learned that served you well, I'm definitely sure. And It carved um, my life purpose absolutely. between that and Woodstock. <laughs> and with that and Woodstock, wow. So now we arrive. I am so fascinated with the story. In 1989, you're, you're now 35. Mm-hmm. And again, you had, in your words, a profoundly transformational shift in how you viewed yourself and your relationship with spirit. What happened? Well, what happened was that I was read the riot act by a healer who was working with me at that time at 35 years old. And what she, what she really called me on the carpet for was it was at that point in my life from really from the time I was, three years old until I was 35, I was living in a state of what I referred to as terminal rightness addiction, 
that I was here on earth as punishment. Really? And yes, I was, was absolutely this a belief, convinced. Was this a belief system you had? Totally. And I was convinced that it wasn't a belief system. I was convinced it was fact. I would have, I would have sworn on a stack of Bibles that I was here on earth as punishment. And what my healer at that point in time in my life said to me was, what is it going to take for you to challenge that crazy ass belief? <laughs> and I've never heard I've never heard this before, David. You're probably the mm-hmm. first one to actually say it, you know, or, or, or you know, verse this out loud. I've never heard anyone in all of the years I've been around that they felt coming here was a punishment. Wow. Yes. And believe I it. was totally certain that that was true. And when she asked me, what's it going to take? I was in such a deep state of rightness addiction. All I could do, all I could offer in response was, uh, was to draw on what I had learned in studying A Course in Miracles, which was this notion of a little willingness, a little willingness. So what I said to her was, and I quote, I'm willing to consider the possibility that maybe I'm wrong. Okay. <laughs> that so was all I could offer there. in that moment. That <laughs> was little, the most I could a offer. A little window, just a little bit of an edge there. That's possibility right. that I willing. might be wrong. Yep. Willing to consider the possibility that maybe I might be wrong. That and maybe. <laughs> that was enough. That Just that little bit of willingness was mm-hmm. it turned out to be enough to crack the door open so that I could finally start to heal from that uh, that profoundly limiting belief. You know, you know, you just struck a chord. Something um, just sort of resonated with me. How many people may be living today who actually feel that they're here on Earth as a punishment, and as a result, they go down such a self-destructive path that they don't mm-hmm. ever have the awakening that you had, that the possibility I might be here for a purpose, a purpose to change lives. That just occurred to me all of a sudden. Yes. How many people well, may, and because of addictions, because of the things they go through, so the things that happened to them as child, as a child, like as punishment, I was sexually abused or verbally abused in this sort of situation, that sort of situation. I, I've mm-hmm. heard the stories, many of them. That just gave yes. me the thought that maybe they believe they were brought here as punishment. Oh, my goodness. Indeed. And in fact, when I have told this story (laughs) in keynote addresses and Mm. other training programs, the number of people who have come up to me afterwards and have said, I have felt that way, too, has really stunned Mm -hmm. me. Yeah. So I wasn't off. I wasn't off track when I had that thought. No, not at all. You were quite on track. Wow. Well, you know, like I said, you you have done such good work because you translated all of this into what you're sharing with so many people today. Uh, And I want to get to that really quickly, but we're going to take a quick break and we're going to be right back. So listeners, stay tuned because we've got a lot more with my guest today, Dr. David Gruder. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Have there been experiences in your life? that you could only explain that there was a divine connection or intervention. 
Well, the new show, God's Hookups, with your host, Dr. Barbara Young, airing live on YouTube, Facebook, and LinkedIn. This show features each week up close and personal interviews with men and women from all walks of life who will share with you their stories and testimonies about unexplainable miracles, blessings, and encounters that can only be of a God's hookup. So look out every Friday for three powerful shows that will ignite your faith and stir up your hope at 1130, 1.30, and 2.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And if you would like to be a guest to share your amazing story of a God hookup, please contact Dr. Barbara Young at drb at godshookups.com for more information. And to watch on YouTube, just go to God's Hookups and click to subscribe. This is Transformation for Success. To reach Dr. Barbara Young or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at transformationforsuccess.com. Now, back to this week's program. Well, hello there, and welcome back with my interview today with Dr. David Gruder, who is the fascinating 12 award-winning integrative psychologist and human potential strategist and tactician. He equips leaders and influencers to become supercharged catalysts who facilitate self-sovereignty. That serves us all. And this is for you new listeners who may be tuning in to know who Dr. David Gruder is. So we're talking about how he has gone through several transformational journeys. Now we're at the point where he's in New York, where he grew up, and 9-11 happened, and he had another transformation that activated in him. So Dr. Gruda, share what happened in New York, because I think that's the pivotal point where we jump off to some of the things that you began to do. Yes, it's quite true. Well, as you said, I grew up in New York, and... I, in, in 2001, September of 2001, my mom informed me, she was still alive at that time, that the family home that, uh, that we, I had grown up in with my brother and my father and my mother, uh, that she was ready to sell the house, that she, she didn't want to live in that house anymore. And so I had gone back to start to help her prepare to put the house on the market. And a couple of days after arriving, 9-11 happened. And wow. it was, yeah. So to be in New York when 9-11 was unfolding was a very uh, painful, very painful experience. I can imagine. Uh, I, I knew people who died in, uh, in the crashing of the towers. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, the the whole the whole area was was completely psychologically traumatized, and it's it's it was certainly traumatic for many many people who saw the nine eleven attacks on television. To be oh, in the thick of it is a whole different experience. And well, I can imagine. I can imagine. Oh my goodness! I, I yeah. watched on television when it happened. I happened to have the te- the television on. So I saw it the first at the beginning of it, and it was just horrifying. Even to the day, that's still sort of on my memory banks. 
Yes, yes, <laughs> for sure. And it's one of those moments in time when, uh, when people remember mostly where they were when they got the news, kind of like those, who, mm-hmm. those of us who were alive when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. We generally remember where we were when we got that news. Uh, and the, the, to, to make a, a long story short, mm-hmm. the foreign policy uh, statement that was issued three weeks after 9-11 about how the attacks were going to be handled flew directly in the face of what I had experienced that was at the heart of the vast majority of New Yorkers' reactions to the trauma, which was that they wanted to know what our unintended part was in inadvertently helping to bring this kind of attack to our shores. And when when the foreign policy statement was issued something inside me snapped and and what i heard inside was david you can no longer play small and i didn't think i was playing small i was i had a pretty broad uh, reputation at that point uh, in my mm-hmm. career as a psychologist but the the message inside was you cannot play small anymore you have to have impact at a national and international level. And what started flowing out of me was a document called the Declaration of Global Responsibility, which was 10 guiding principles for a holistic integrated response to the, the foundation psychological dynamics that are underneath terrorism, which I call fanaticism disorder. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that uh, and I, when that came through, I, uh, I set an intention inside me that I didn't know how it was going to happen, but somehow I was going to be invited to Geneva, Switzerland, which is the working capital of the world community, in contrast to New York being the diplomatic uh, center with the United Nations headquarters there. I was going to be invited somehow to Geneva, Switzerland, to train a group of world leaders. and. A couple of years later, I was invited to Geneva, Switzerland, to train a group of ambassadors to the World Trade Organization in collaboration-based negotiation strategies. Well, there was a definite purpose for your being here, and it all culminated with this. I have a question, though, going back. Mm-hmm. When you wrote the Declaration of Global Responsibility, this, did this come to you all at once? Were you, you know, in terms of creating that document, you believe that you were guided by spirit to put that together? Yes. <clears throat> I learned when I was writing my first book, uh, which won two awards back in 1996, mm-hmm. that, uh, that if, if what came through me wasn't smarter than me, it went in the garbage pan. Uh, garbage <laughs> pan. And so by, by 2001, I was really used to that kind of writing style. So if what okay. was coming through me wasn't smarter than me, it, mm-hmm. it never saw the light of day. Okay. So now there were 10, were there 10 precepts or 10 uh, precepts in the Principal. Declaration of Will? What do you call them? 10 articles? What did you call them? Principles. 10 principles. Yeah, I was writing this down because good information. Now, the thing that I'm intrigued about 
is that out of this, you coined a term called self-sovereignty because you started working with world leaders in your, <clears throat> excuse me, empowering them, training them, and you coined a term called self-sovereignty. Could you explain what that means and what do leaders need to do to do their part in trying to elevate and repair what we're experiencing now? We're going through a global pandemic and a crisis, not just here in the United States, but worldwide. Helping to yes. repair and elevate the world, what, first of all, is self-sovereignty? Explain that for my listeners, because I'm sure they're dying to hear. Sure. Well, the way I define self-sovereignty is a state of self-dominion and authenticity in which elevated self-development, self-responsibility, and personal, personal power equip us to be the boss of our own perspectives, choices, words, and actions, and that equip us to embody our deepest, most spiritual sense of purpose. I love it. And, and the first step is taking personal responsibility, and that's sort of taking that step within, and then defining you have personal power. How, and how did the leaders respond to that when you coined this and begin to explain it to them? How did they respond to you? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's a funny story about that. So uh, uh. two organizations brought me over, uh, paid me to to provide this training in Geneva. And, uh, and just before I was about to start giving this day-long training program, one of the, uh, the executive director of one of these two organizations pulled me aside. And he said to me, and I'm just going to use his words, even though there was <laughs> some vulgarity involved. He says to me, I just want you to know that as far as I'm concerned, all this self-development stuff is, is, uh, is bullshit, is the word that he used, uh, that we world leaders can lead very well without all of that narcissistic, self-centered stuff. And I looked at him, and what came out of my mouth was, well, thanks for letting me know that. Uh, and what I'm thinking to myself internally in that moment is, and you brought me over here and you're telling me this just before I'm about to start giving this training program. So the, the, the good news is, is that he, he proved to be more teachable than I imagined he was in that moment. Because at the end of the training program, he came back up to me and he said, I owe you an apology. There's more to this psychology stuff, this, this self-development stuff than I ever realized. And what he taught me, which I've had, I've heard so many times mm -hmm, since then, mm -hmm. is that there is a massive disdain toward self-development in uh, among national and world leaders. Many of them, certainly not all of them, but many of them have this kind of disdain. They think that they can lead without their own self-development. And the truth is that leaders lead at the level of their wounds, not their wishes, their self-development limitations, not their highest intentions. But, Dr. Gruder, a lot of it is because many of them have gone to schools and have had leadership courses or leadership training that dwell nothing with or deal nothing with self-development or personal development or growth or Correct. personal responsibility. So they're only, they're only a product, and particularly these are in foreign countries, and we'll share offline some of my experiences. 
uh, traveling uh, in, in different countries and dealing with leadership. They, that's all they know. So if someone yeah, starts talking about, about the state of self and looking within and personal responsibility and personal power, oh, my God, you'll hear a hue and cry. I'm, I'm surprised just that one. I'm sure you had others uh, mm-hmm. in other, you know, maybe other countries that had that say, and maybe even here in the United States. Yes, that, absolutely here in the United States, too. <clears throat> yeah. What does that have to do with anything? You know, because they're coming from a transactional point of view rather than transformational. Well, so anyway, but, yeah, and, you're, and you're quite right. I mean, there was uh, in in the early 1970s, the human potential movement split into three groups. There were the self-improvers, the relationship folks and the leadership folks. Mm-hmm. And instead of instead of moving forward in an integrated, unified way, they siloed into separate camps and they developed disdain for each other. They developed mm-hmm. a negative attitude about the other groups. You're right. You're all into that touchy-feely stuff. We're, we're not into that. <clears throat> right, exactly. I remember. I remember so well. Well, this, this has been interesting um, in how you've helped leaders, and many of them. What have been some of your success stories where you've actually helped leaders to turn them around uh, and to see that they, they needed to do their part uh, to help repair and elevate the world or their environment? Mm. Well, there, there are a number, fortunately, of, uh, of success stories that I have, because if mm-hmm. I didn't have those, I think I would have given up a long time ago. Right. Um, <clears throat> the, one, one of them was with the founder of a, of a large international organization that, uh, that develops entrepreneurs into successful business people. And he, he engaged me to be his integrity leadership mentor uh, because his objective was to be having much higher impact than he even had been having on the international stage. And he realized that if he wasn't walking his talk, he wouldn't have the necessary credibility. So uh, I was uh, I was working with him on helping him address the the baggage that he didn't even know he was carrying that was impairing his leadership wow. effectiveness. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he caught he came to call what what I was doing with him with that part of what I was doing with him, shadow technology, where I was, I was really bringing him face to face with the parts of him that he was repressing, ignoring, denying, or even unjustifiably justifying. And, uh, and he, he was saying publicly in many, many events that he was keynoting at and leading that the, what I was putting him through was the hardest work of his life. And it was also the most rewarding. And that's that, what the people that oh, I've wow. worked with do report to me, is that they, they don't have a picnic with me, and it's also the most rewarding work. Well, I think that's a testimony of what what you're putting into people and hard work and the results of hard work and having people to dig and do the work. And I admire you so much for that. Thank you. Tell me, you have stated from your perspective, that humanity has been hijacked 
And what is it going to take to get it back on track? I was very intrigued with that. Mm. Well, there are a number of moving pieces to what it's going to take for humanity to get back on track. I bet. But for me, the starting place of that is that we, we need to realign with our design. We need to align with our, with our true nature. And this ties back to Woodstock because I discovered, I came to clarity in the years following Woodstock as I was trying to make deeper sense out of the experience I had at Woodstock, that there was profound wisdom underneath the cliche at that point in time called sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Mm-hmm. And the the wisdom underneath the sex part of sex, drugs, and rock and roll was that in the 1960s, as you'll recall as well, we were looking for ways to be more deeply, intimately connected with the people we cared about and in our primary love relationships that went beyond simply an, a, a societal expectation of a marriage contract. Mm-hmm. And the drugs part of sex, drugs, and rock and roll was that we were looking for a way to connect with our own authenticity more deeply instead of conforming to the 1950s delusion of the American dream that replaced the original American dream. And the rock and roll part of the cliche, underneath that part of the cliche, the wisdom was that in the, for the first time in the history of music in the 1960s, popular music contained songs with lyrics that were telling us that we did have the power to change the world, to improve the world for the better. Well, underneath sex, drugs, and rock and roll is our three core drives. We all have a drive to be who we truly are, which is our drive for authenticity. We all have a drive to bond with others, which is our drive for connection. And we all have a drive to influence the world around us, which is our drive for impact. A whole and complete human being is one-third me, which is authenticity, one-third we, which is connection, and one-third impact, which is about us all, the collectives we're part of. And when we start realigning with that basic desire as human beings, that's when we can start stepping into full integrity, because integrity is three-dimensional. The authenticity, me part, is self-integrity. The connection we part is uh, is relationship integrity and the the impact us all part is about collective integrity we will change the world when we are approaching integrity in that three-dimensional way rather than in one-dimensional ways and dr gruder we may be moving towards that the me the we the impact i somehow feel that we may be moving toward that because it's going to take something <clears throat> you say we hope? I say me too. I agree. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. And um, I, I just can't, you know, really thank you enough for sharing this because so many people are trying and grappling for answers, entrepreneurs, uh, thought leaders um, that are looking for answers in terms of how we can bring humanity back on track and what is it going to take. And I like the way the question is framed that, from your perspective, humanity has been hijacked. And that's a known fact. And these things are like the me, the we, and the impact. And that's what it's going to take. 
and I, and I just can't thank you enough for sharing that and sharing what you've done with leaders and what they need to do in order to do their part. I wanted to go back to that, too, so you can give me a two-step or three-step process because there may be listeners out there who are leaders and who need to know that there are three things that, <clears throat> excuse me, that you can share what they need to do to help repair and elevate the world because we're all over, we're all over the globe. We're in China and Russia, and I know they're listening, <clears throat> and other countries. So I want you to just speak to them, those who are in leadership roles, two or three things they can do to help repair now. <laughs> yes. Okay. The first thing is that leaders need to develop very clear understandings about the anatomy of propaganda, the spell that we're under, the ways in which hijacking health, prosperity, problem solving, and governance have been hijacked. They need to understand the dynamics of propaganda in order to be able to recognize it when it's being used <clears throat> and in order to be able to step out of it. Um, uh, they need to start abstaining from using propaganda because there is a way of informing the public that's far more healthy, far more useful, and frankly, over the long run, far more effective than propaganda tactics are. So they need to understand the, the spell. They need to be able to spot the spell. That's the first thing. Mm -hmm. the, the second is that they need to align with their design. They need to really step into ownership of what their basic human nature is and what their higher calling is so that they can start looking at and freeing themselves from the baggage that stands between their good intentions and their unintended negative impacts. They don't have impact literacy. They think that good intentions are enough so that their, their words and behaviors that aren't aligned with their good intentions can be excused. Well, they can't be excused. Mm -hmm. Words and actions have to be aligned with good intentions. And the third thing is that they have to be willing to understand and step into healthy, ethical, personal power effectiveness as leaders instead of this kind of ends justifies the means integrity-less uh, expressions of power. Wow, these are powerful steps. They are powerful steps, Dr. David, and I'm so glad that you brought them out very clearly so that anyone can understand exactly what you're saying. We're going to have to take a quick break, and listeners, we're going to be right back because there's a lot more to be said with Dr. David Gruda. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Are you looking to watch some great video content with entertaining stories and exciting dialogue with some of the world's leading guests? Well, tune in. Transformation Success TV Network each week. This network is designed to give you high-definition quality programming on eight different channels for your enjoyment that will help you get excited and inspired, whether it's on the professional development, relationship inspiration, health and financial wellness, sports and entertainment, and music to inspire. This 
state-of-the-art programming will motivate and educate you to be better. So whether you want to talk financial wellness or sports, all you have to do is tune in and go to drbarbaryoung.com and click on the green Watch the Videos button and get ready to be transformed. Again, go to drbarbaryoung.com and click on the green Watch the Videos button and it will take you to the channel for your listening and viewing pleasure. If you would like to host your own show, please send your requests to info at transformationforsuccess.com. This is Transformation for Success. To reach Dr. Barbara Young or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at transformationforsuccess.com. Now, back to this week's program. Intriguing interview with Dr. David Gruder today. He has been very informative. This man has based a lifetime of dedication to help repair and elevate the world. So today he shared some of his turning, transformational turning points that have led him to develop a final chapter of his career, equipping leaders and influencers in inner, outer, and spiritual skills to succeed at self-sovereignty. So we have just dealt with a message to leaders across the world, three steps that he outlined for you very clearly before we went on break. So, Dr. Gruder, I can't thank you enough for sharing today this great message. There's one mm-hmm. other uh, thing that I, I can see and want to just sort of, uh, ex- you know, expand on that I, you know, did a lot of research and on you and your background, and wow, it's very impressive, and I know people have told you that many times, but the fact that you're so warm down to earth and you make it very plain in terms of explaining your concepts. I can see why that you were named uh, a few years back, I think, America's Integrity Expert. How did that make you feel when you were awarded uh, that and appropriately named America's Integrity Expert? Yeah, I definitely concur. How did that make (laughs) you feel? (laughs) Well, it scared me. (laughs) It scared Um, you? Yeah, you know, I beg to differ. How did that scare you? Well, it, it, the original fear reaction that I had was when the guidance came through me a couple of years before I was named America's Integrity Expert that I was to write a book on the the, the roadmap, a roadmap for restoring personal, business, uh, governmental, societal integrity. And, uh, and when that guidance came through, my reaction was fear. It was like, oh, my God, I, uh, if, I, if I'm going to do this, if I am going to follow these instructions, I am going to be in the limelight. I'm going to be positioned as an integrity <laughs> expert, and that's going to mean that I am going to have to hold myself to a higher level of integrity than anyone else or I'm going to be called on the carpet as a hypocrite. And so my fear was, do I really want to uh, be, be held to those impossibly high standards 
Uh, am I going to feel imprisoned and uh, and uh, trapped if I step into that uh, that guidance, that directive? And after a period of time, I came to a sense of clarity that what I was really being called to do was to grow myself into higher levels of integrity because that was going to make me happier. And at that point, I realized it wasn't going to be a burden after all. So I wrote a book, this book uh, that is part of what resulted in my being named America's Integrity Expert. It was called uh, The New IQ. That IQ stood for Integrity Quotient. The New IQ, How Integrity intelligence serves you, your relationships, and our world. And so when I was named America's Integrity Expert by Radio TV Interview Report, uh, sometime after that book came out and it had won six book awards, I gulped again and I went, okay, now I really have to look at this again. Am I, uh, am I up to this task? Am I willing to be held to high enough standards so that I am legitimately an integrity expert. So it did. <laughs> you know, I'm laughing because <laughs> I'm laughing from from the young kid, young man who thought I'm in this world for punishment. I'm I'm in this mm-hmm. world for punishment to become noted America's integrity expert and to write a book about it. And so I, I just I, I'm just sort of chuckling because I'm sure. You've been reminded probably by some of your friends about that early, early on uh, expression or thought that you had. But I tell you, God is a God of miracles and he has a perfect design for all of us to get here. I'm thankful Mm -hmm. that you're here. I'm thankful that you have had um, and doing the work that you're doing because you're on an extraordinary mission. And the mission isn't over, Dr. David, because you are still young enough. I mean, I can say that. You know, I was 62 when I started out on another journey. <clears throat> so you have a, a lot more ahead of you, and I am so excited that I had the chance to share with you today and to have you share with the listeners across the world, because what we need now is more than anything else, is peace and working together, what you attempted to do many years ago as a young man, which sort of backfired, but it actually ended up with a result. Yes. We can have peace. <clears throat> and there is, I love it, uh, the Declaration of Global Responsibility. Is there a place, um, well, I'm actually going to give the listeners the, uh, your website, because I'd like for you mm-hmm. to go to Dr. Gruder's, uh website, because that way you will be able to access his information fully and his books, www.drgruder.com. G-R-U-D-E-R dot com. And I'm sure his books are there and you can get the books and you can get the one he wrote, The New IQ and Our World. I don't have the full title, but I did get The New IQ and Our World. That is a book you probably want to get, so I'm encouraging all you leaders out there, entrepreneurs, thought leaders who are listening to Dr. Gruder today, please get his work. You will not be disappointed, I know. So, Dr. David, I can't thank you enough for transparency today and sharing several of your transformational journeys and what led to your extraordinary mission to help repair and elevate the world. We need more and more people like you. And may you continue to have God's blessings 
as you complete the final chapter of your career, which is going to be extended. I have one last question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, oh, sure. Oscar. And thank you for those kind words. Uh, it's been a pleasure well, to be with you, Dr. Barber. You are quite deserving, let me tell you. If you had an option to place uh, a billboard in a certain space, what would it say, and where would you place it? Mm. The, and I can only choose one place that the billboard would appear? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, the billboard would appear in front of the United Nations. Great. And the billboard would say, you are responsible for ushering in the age of self-sovereignty that serves us all by governing in ways that promote self-sovereignty. I love it. I love it. And thank you for that placed on the face of the United Nations. So as I close the show today, I want to thank you listeners in my faithful countries who tune in each week. And I leave you with the words of Marianne Williamson. Personal transformation can and does have global effects. As we go, so goes the world. For the world is us. The revolution that will save the world is ultimately a personal one. So take care. Have a blessed week. And for my United States listeners, get out and vote. This is your chance to express your voice. I'm counting on you, and so is Dr. Gruder. We're counting on you to vote tomorrow. Get Mm -hmm. out there. And this is Dr. Barbara Young signing off until next week when I have another special guest, Dr. Richard Kay. So you want to stay tuned to hear Dr. Kay. Dr. Gruder, thank you. Have a great, great day and the rest of the week. Love you much. We appreciate you joining us for Transformation for Success. Please join your host, Dr. Barbara Young, again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, that's 12 noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Or join us for replays of the show weekly on the Voice America Business Channel and the Voice America Influencers Channel. Until our next show, have an outstanding week.